Hello and welcome to the PC Gamer Podcast. My name is Samuel Roberts and I'm joined today by... Tom Senior, web editor. Phil Savage, deputy editor. Andy Kelly, section editor. So this week we're going to talk about some uh, slightly more high-profile games than we have in previous weeks, where we've been filling in the uh, the, the slightly slower no. weeks with uh, remasters and such. No, you must build a boat for us this week. No, no, we've actually got uh, games with like 3D models and shit in them, so it's going to be uh, it's very very exciting real and um, real games. Uh, one of which has turned out to be a little bit disappointing for for some reasons, and another one that's uh, a return to form for a series that's much loved by a die-hard cult audience. Shall, shall we lead with the high or lead with the disappointment? I, I say we should start with the disappointment and That's what, ramp yeah. up gradually. That feels like it's an us thing way. to do. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. So um, the disappointment is uh, Quantum Break, uh, made by oh. Remedy and released uh, exclusively wow. on uh, Windows 10. It's one of Microsoft's first big uh, PC exclusive in its new wave of uh, UWP programs, which are definitely not Games for Windows Live 2.0. Um, but uh, Andy, it's turned out to be a little bit disappointing for you, hasn't it? You played through the whole thing last week, and yeah. you seemed to, you seemed to enjoy the game, but were frustrated by the port. Yeah, kind of. Disappointment's the right word, I think, because I'm a big Remedy fan. Love Alan Wake, love Max Payne, one and two, and three, but that wasn't them. So you know, I was like, going I actually requested to review this quite early on. I was like, I want to do that because I love I love Remedy games, um, and then. About halfway through, I was like, "Why did I re- request to review this? I wish <laughs> I hadn't." Um, so, well, as you said, it's the it's one of the first big launches for the UWP, which is the Universal Windows platform, which is like a Microsoft's own little sort of walled garden of here are games that you can release via the Windows 10 store and nowhere nowhere else. Um, for insert benefit here, I don't know what the benefit of that is for anyone, but there you go. <laughs> Except Microsoft. Yeah. So it's it's fifty quid, which straight away is like, come on, and that's never going to drop. Like, no, no, it's not like on Steam where a bit a game will come out at forty quid, forty five quid, and a few months later it'll be down to thirty, and then it'll just keep dropping down there, until it's yeah. a fiver on a Steam sale. Quantum Break's always going to be fifty quid. Is is it possible to buy it as like a box product? No idea. I don't think so. Yeah. No, no, because like that would obviously go down in price, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that would go down in price. I mean, it's weird that it's fifty pounds on the Windows Store, but it was forty five pounds on the Xbox Store. Yeah, that's just that's the, so yeah, we're, we're getting charged to five or more. Yeah. And obviously, with the Xbox version, you can just buy it from Amazon, where it's even cheaper than that. And what? Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. And oh. Here's the thing: the Xbox version is playable. Yeah, hmm. it works well. Whereas the PC version is it's the worst PC version since Arkham Knight, and in some ways worse. Oh, wow, which is which is damning. Um, yeah. But you but you did still enjoy the game at the center of it, right? Particularly the story. Uh, what's yeah. the kind of what's the sort of premise there? Um, so yeah, it's it, Remedy are very comfortable making writing pulpy genre fiction stories. So you got the Stephen King esque horror and Alan Wake with a little bit of Twin Peaks sprinkled on it. You've got um, the noir Max Payne stuff, which was very tongue in cheek and very like almost mocking kind of hard-boiled noir yeah. in some ways. Um, so yeah, this is like their, they've turned their eye to sci-fi, um, time travel-based sci-fi. And it is, they, they, they approach that genre with the same level of kind of uh, skill as they've approached those other genres. So they're not right, it's not a great piece of fiction, it's not an, an all-time great piece of sci-fi, it's not um, a great piece of writing, it's just an enjoyably fun, dumb, slightly campy, slightly pulpy story, you know, that's told well, um, has some good twists and turns, you know, it's just an, it's, it, story-wise, it's better than a lot of action games. Mm. Um, 
it's interesting because it's they've they've gone with a high end cast for this one, haven't they? And, yeah. Uh, and there are these live action sequences that are about twenty minutes long that play sporadically yeah. throughout the story. Well, yeah, it's got. I mean, the cast is 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 pretty good. It's it's not like an A list cast. It's not like um, Grand Theft Auto San Andreas getting Samuel L. Jackson and you know Dennis Hopper and all that. Yeah. Um, it's the main cast is Sean Ashmore plays the hero. He played. Iceman and the X-Men film. There's the definitely X-Men. a question mark at the end of that. I've never seen the X-Men films, so he played. He, apparently, he played him, and he's been in some other shows, um, like Fringe and stuff. Yeah, he was, he's got a twin brother, and they were both in Fringe, and that was uh, quite yeah. a fun episode, I seem to yeah. recall. But yeah, yeah. Um, it's got Aidan Gillen, who I'm a massive fan of. Um, uh, Mayor Carcetti from The Wire. Yeah, oh Carcetti. shit, that's kind of a spoiler, actually. Uh, yeah. Carcetti from The Wire. Carcetti from The Wire. <laughs> or more recently, more people will probably know him as um, Peter Baelish. Little finger mm. from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Mm. I'm Good. big, yeah. I'm a big fan of that of him as an actor. What? I actually met him once in real life. What accent uh, does he invent for this? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. He gets a lot of stick for his accents. Uh, he's, his American accent, uh, if you've seen The Wire, is pretty good, mm. and he's just doing that in Quantum Break. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I met him once at a music festival, and he was very nice and very small. <laughs> well, that's that's unrelated. Okay. Um, well, it's it's uh, it, yeah. I, I I quite like his American accent, The Wire, actually. But yeah, um, I've seen like a few. Uh, there's, a, there's one still one uh, that I, I put on Twitter the other day, which is um, of uh, Lance Reddick and him staring mm. really hard at a time ball. They were, like, <laughs> yeah. they were just acting really hard at it. That's and, the countermeasure. Yeah, that's a key plot point. But yeah, so, <laughs> so yeah, you've got Lance Reddick as well, who was in The Wire, who played uh, Major. Oh, it's another spoiler. Cedric Daniels. <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's seasons four and five for it. You know, yeah. how have um, we spoiled the wire? For <laughs> talking about anyway, Karen. yeah, uh, yeah. And you've got a Dominic Monaghan who, despite being probably the biggest name on there, is by far the worst perf- performance in the thing. He's playing an American. I don't know why. He's uh, he's a northerner. That's really, yeah, that's really weird. Because like, I've never heard him do an American accent. Yeah, like, like when in, he died in Lost, I've ruined that one too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in Lost and in Lord of the Rings, is two big big other things. He's He's got a, uh, an English accent, but for some reason he's playing an American in this. He's the main character's brother, who invented the time machine, uh, and he's he, he's terrible. So yeah, it's got like a, it's got a cast of <laughs> of apart from Monaghan, it's got a cast of just good quality TV actors just doing a good job. Not you can you know you can tell like Aidan Gillen and a few of the the live action scenes is putting effort into it. He's not just paying yeah. the bills. So I you know I, I appreciate that. It, it's it's kind of like a, a mixture between like a credible sort of like cable drama cast and then the sort of schlocky sci-fi show cast. Yeah, it's yeah, a I mean, weird combination yeah. of them, you know. So the TV show thing is that between acts in the game, you'll sit down and watch a TV show, and it's you know it's, it's shot professionally on decent-ish sets. But if it was on TV, you wouldn't watch it. It, it looks incredibly low budget. Yeah. But at the same time, you can tell the characters are kind of enjoying themselves. Like Lance Reddick, in particular, really loves chewing that scenery. Yeah, and he's, <laughs> he's loving it. Yeah, him and Aiden, Aiden Gillen as well. They, they they are chewing the scenery, but they're, like, they're, they're doing it well. Point to those people and say, "Act to the countermeasure," and they're like, "No problem." Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. that. I can't get enough of Lance Reddick's voice. I just yeah, I would listen to him. He's brilliant. He's playing a. I only know him from The Wire, where he's you know he's as far as a, there are goodies in The Wire, he's one of the goodies at times. Um, but in this, he's playing a full-on baddie. He's like the CEO of Monarch, which is the evil corporation that um, serves the enemies in this, who have a private army that you shoot many, many times Dude. over. I've I've met Lance Reddick actually. Come to think of it, so, uh, everyone ran there, except me. Tom, <laughs> Tom, have you, Tom, have you met Dominic, Dominic Monaghan before? <laughs> that would be no, it's happening not. We complete the set then. 
Lance Reddick wasn't short, actually. Um, <laughs> the thing, like the, the line I remember him saying in the Y that I've never forgotten is the time he, he calls someone a shitbird, <laughs> and like that's one of the greatest insults del- delivered yeah. in this this perfect way. And I thought, mm. oh my god, this, this show de- deserved all the critical acclaim it got. <laughs> yeah, he says that. Yeah, because he rarely swears, but when he does, when Daniel swears, you know he's really pissed off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, was, the other thing is that the um the, the someone put uh, said on Twitter that. Um, the live action bit show that guard design in enemies don't yeah. look right in live action. Yeah, this is that's the most that's the most hilarious part is when you there's these um, enemies in the game that can teleport across the room. They've got sort of similar time powers to you, and they wear a sort of big time backpack, which is like some <laughs> ludicrous B movie looking sci fi device. <laughs> and then you see them in the live action show, and it just looks like a. Uh, a guy in a white boiler suit wearing like a paper mache <laughs> time backpack. It just looks really, it just looks naff. Like, mm. but mostly, thankfully, a lot of the TV shows just two shots of people sitting in rooms talking very earnestly about time okay. travel. So it sounds like the stuff that you weren't as enamored with was the uh, was the combat, which you said yeah. was a little bit plain. Is that right? Yeah, it's just a really by the numbers shooter. I mean, it's fundamentally playable because Remedy have been all their games involve shooting things so they've had a lot of practice it's it's just fine like it's just a means to get to the next for me it was just a means of getting to the next part of the story um there you have time powers you can like create a bullet shield you can slow people down temporarily all that stuff but it never feels you know like in a an action game that has powers like that where they feel really intrinsic to the style of play this feels like they're just gimmicky ways to distract you you know they don't feel mm. that crucial to the actual moment-to-moment shooting um they just feel like a, a kind of just a, a just a, an aside almost it's quite it's quite hard to explain but they never felt like they were absolutely like the, the selling point of the game so it sounded like they designed the game around so like you couldn't sit in cover and the enemies yeah. would always flush you out and you were forced to use the yeah. powers does that does that system not provoke much interest it yeah well it means you, you he'll cr- Joyce, the main character, will crouch behind cover, but then as soon as you fire, he'll just stand up and expose himself, so to speak. Um, <laughs> and so that that immediately means it's not a cover shot. You've got to keep running about. You've got to keep using the dash thing, which is just sort of teleport a few meters ahead. You've got to keep moving and circling, and that is. I'm glad it wasn't just a game where you pin yourself behind cover and mm. take pop shots. But then the powers just didn't really work for me, and I didn't find them that interesting. The thing that I really liked about the game was the story ultimately like um, it's schlocky and a bit daft and the ending's not great but you know the ending never is on, on a lot of yeah time travel type stories but yeah it's, that is the story that kept me playing and it certainly wasn't the PC version which I think I should explain some of the, the problems yeah, with that is, um, so the game the highest resolution the game natively runs at is 720p and whenever you set a resolution higher than that, it's 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 called re- it's called reconstruction, where it reconstructs the the image. I'm I'm using the like the worst layman's terms ever here. But <laughs> basically, when you run in 1080p, it's not 1080p, and you can really tell by looking at it. It's got that fuzziness of when you run a game at a non-native resolution. Mm. So even if you're running at 1080p, 1440p, 4K, the game's running at 720p, and it's been upscaled mm. in some way. So it just looks just the image just looks rough. So presumably because the Xbox One version was running at 720p, I assume yeah. that's the case. So yeah. that's so that, it feels like a bit of a quick fix then. Well, that's the thing about the 
universal Windows platform is that the idea is that they make one version of a game and it works on everything, which is just stupid because PC games need to be tweaked and, and tempered and, uh, to work on PC. So that's one of the problems. Another one is that it's locked at 50 hertz. So if you've got a 60 hertz capable monitor, the game Which will be locked. Will do. Yeah. yeah. See, so the game is locked at 50 hertz, so you can never get 60 frames per second, mm. or at oh. least you can, you can get it. There are po points in smaller rooms where it feels like 60 frames per second. It feels, you know, and shootouts in smaller areas. But when you go outside, the frame rate just goes to shit. And you can't even lock at 30 frames per second to get a experience get on par with the Xbox yeah. because it's got frame pacing issues. So even locked oh, at yeah. 30 frames. Hmm it still judders and chugs. I, I played it on Xbox One, and I was like, I wish I could have played the game like this. It's, yeah, I, I mean, I've been playing it on Xbox One. Yeah. It's, it's nice not to have to worry about all of those yeah. stuff. And it's not a thing we should have to worry about on PC, really. Or pay an extra no, fiver for a worse experience yeah, exactly. on Xbox. It's um, crazy. One of the other problems with the Universal Windows platform is that because of how locked down it is as a, as a system, as, a, as an ecosystem, it's... Um, it, it's not possible for modders to go in and use injectors or whatever to fix yeah. these problems. They can't uncap the frame rate. They would have been fixed by to, now. Yeah, so somebody would have released a patch that would have, you know, a third-party patch that would have done something to fix it. Probably Durante. Probably Durante. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, back, he can't. Because you can't even run fraps on it. You can't run any overlay software. Apparently there's a big update coming to UWP in May that's going to add stuff like the ability to use overlay type programs like yeah, you'll fraps be able to use and things that, like fraps and that. So you'll be able to know exactly how much you're missing out. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's just it's just a real shame. Like because it, eventually, you know, I got I just got past the fact that it ran shit and I just started losing myself in the story and just enjoying it. But then yeah. occasionally I'd be in a big firefight and think, how nice would this be? It. Uh, 60 frames. Uh, and the thing is, Andy, you're running it with a new i7 and a 970. Like, uh, it's 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 yeah. really bang out of order. Yeah, I can like, play Grand Theft Auto 5 on at 1440p max settings on that on that build. Yeah, at, at hovering around 55, 60, and this, you, yeah, I could barely run Quantum Break at all at stable frame rates. So it's just fundamentally, even but even people, this is all anecdotal. But I watched videos of people with 980 Ti's and Sky Lake CPUs, and they were. They couldn't get a stable frame rate on it, so it's mm. it's not a question of it, the game being demanding. I think it's just horribly optimized. There are a few warning signs. Like we got review code like the day before the release, yeah, whereas yeah. the Xbox One version was out way before the embargo, which was the previous week. Yeah. And um, uh, Microsoft UK didn't send us review code at all, um, yeah. so uh, that was a bit of a warning sign. But like, what's really annoying is that today they're crowing about how it's the best-selling Xbox One new IP, and yeah. like, and and they're not acknowledging the fact that the but PC version is not good enough. You know. At the same time. What competition is it up against, really? Yeah, yeah like Sunset Overdrive and Sunset Rise. Rise. Yeah, yeah. It's um, yeah. I, I'm sure. I, I I want I want to play a version of this that is good that runs on Steam that costs forty quid. Yeah. Um, and the, the the other thing is the other reason I don't think they'll ever reduce the price is I don't even think they are aware that they released it because um, they, <laughs> they if you if you went onto the games and apps front uh, page in the Windows Store it just wasn't advertised at all. <laughs> yeah. It just appeared at about three o'clock in the afternoon and you you had to go searching for it. I don't even think they know they've released yeah. it. <laughs> that's just you, you, that's crazy. You'd, you'd at least put an advert somewhere, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, given how much Microsoft love adverts, like all over the dashboard of the Xbox One or the Windows Store, or whatever, you'd think they'd be able to. Yeah, I'm they'd be able to put one one of their little squares. A little bit sick of that Office three six five. Try it now <laughs> thing you get every time you turn your PC on. That's, it's uh, got, that's um, got old real fast. It's got some in, uh, integration with it. If you press Home on your Xbox One pad, it brings up the the little. Um, menu we can record and take screenshots yeah. and stuff but even that's useless because in a, in a fast paced action game where you want to take screenshots when you take a screenshot a little 
message pops up saying screenshot taken and it hangs around for like mm. five seconds. Steam does this as well. Yeah, yeah. you can turn it off in Steam. I, uh, as far as I see, you can turn it off in, hmm. in, um, in this. And, and stuff like even trying to set the, if you want to choose where you want to install the game to uh, when you, you know, when you buy it on the Windows Store, it will automatically you got your C drive, but if you've got like a G, you know, a G drive or whatever for games, hmm. and you have to go into like the Windows settings, and the core like data download settings in Windows 10 just to change where it downloads the game to. It's just yeah. it's it's not it's a horrible platform for playing PC games. It's a, it's a, I've I uh, read a piece on Eurogame this morning about how the Killer Instinct port on PC is actually really good. Um, okay. That that's uh, that runs quite uh, well on modest systems. So. I, I, it's hard to work out where. But Gears of War famously yeah. wasn't. So is yeah. is it they're just not giving it enough time? The PC versions. I mean, I I don't understand it because they made such a big deal about this and they've yeah. just gone out with. I, my feeling is Remedy have their Alan Wake PC port was brilliant. Like mm. you know you can run it at insane high resolutions. They included things like a free cam and like it just it was just a tailored PC version. Yeah. Um, they're obviously talented and know the platform. I wonder if. The problems with the PC version, I, I bet even they're unhappy with. This mm. is just speculation, oh. but they must be like have felt hamstrung by having to make well, it for like, UWP. Uh, UWP hasn't been around long enough for developers to be comfortable using it for productions on this scale. Yeah, and um, certainly the simultaneous release of Xbox One probably put a time pressure on that we're you know yeah. may or may not have put a time so pressure on. Certain first-party you know. things, you know, like Killer Instinct, and probably this Forza Six Apex when it comes out will probably be pretty good because the entire purpose of their development for PC is to get that engine technology into UWP mm. so they can make it seem more attractive for like outside developers and things like that. Yeah. So, you know, there probably will be games that work quite well, but yeah, it's a it's a shame that Quantum Break suffered because of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I was really looking forward to that. And like I, I don't think I'll ever buy it on PC now. Like um mm. I might I might try and borrow an Xbox One from the office. And those things are giant. I'd rather yeah. carry that home <laughs> yeah, that's a fast, a... enormous rainy hill than actually, <laughs> you know, buy the PC version, which is yeah. not great. Uh oh well, never mind, eh? Quantum broken. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh. but uh, less broken <laughs> is the uh is the Sequel to Dark Souls 2, Dark Souls 3, Tom, which you've been playing. <laughs> Glad you clarified that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's it was a, it was a seamless Souls. link right there. Yeah, Dark um, Souls 3 runs very, 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 very well. Which is a nice contrast to the uh, the first game's yeah. uh, arrival on PC. Like, they've come a long way, clearly. Yeah, I mean, the first game, like Quantum Break, was 720p only, and it was just horrible in lots of ways. And Durante fixed everything just it within because he days with that, because he could he could just reach in, into the matrix and <laughs> pull some levers that's what we know about modding yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he pulled a lever in the matrix yeah. Yeah. then he put a new game down the electricals <laughs> uh, Dark Souls 3 is brilliant uh, it's, it's, an, it's been an interesting uh, journey for Dark Souls because the second game was so underwhelming and clearly had some development issues and there were clearly just mechanics that they were planning to put in that never, never came to fruition so um, there, there are just torches everywhere that you're constantly lighting in Dark Souls 2. And it, there is obviously supposed to be some sort of light-dark mechanic where you're exploring dungeons and lighting torches to change levels uh, that was never actually built into the final game. And uh, there were areas that were clearly unfinished, and it was kind of a mess even though I enjoyed it. Uh, Dark Souls 3 is not like that. Dark Souls 3 is the big, proper, uh, bigger, better, uh, more refined sequel to the Dark Souls 1 formula. And it's really excellent even if it can't capture the novelty and the magic of the, the first game 
Well, so I've I've um I heard uh, writer Rich Stanton talking about the kind of magic of the original Dark Souls recently. Uh, recently, and he um he talked about how it was the the techniques of uh, dropping in sort of narrative through item descriptions and such that really really made that game. Um, and he made it sound like the second one just really kind of lacked that same sort of like cohesive language <coughs> and suffered as a result and felt more like a spin-off than an actual sequel. Um, does this uh, this does this restore some of those techniques? Is the, is the narrative more effectively delivered? It's, it's much more clear, actually, than most of Miyazaki's other games that I've played. So I've played Bloodborne as well. And Bloodborne's really, really quite difficult to figure out what's going on. You have to be, be a proper detective and you really read all those descriptions and really look at all the kind of geometry of the levels and try and understand what's happening. Um, and there's a, uh, with Bloodborne, there's a lot of kind of metaphysical Lovecraftian stuff in there as well, which make, complicates things. Whereas with Dark Souls 3, they're, they're much clearer about who the factions are and what they stand for. People you talk to will just tell you things about the world's factions and you know, what they're doing and that I personally appreciate that because it gives me more to latch onto on my first playthrough there's still a lot of depth a lot of mystery and the item descriptions make kind of um, constant reference to historic figures that I still don't know what their role is and there's still a lot of mystery there that uh, I'm looking forward to untangling so it, it feels much more complete as a fiction uh, and one of the biggest kind of signs of that is the sheer number of NPCs everywhere. Mm. There are loads of NPCs uh, that you can kind of talk to, uh, discover in these kind of dark corners of the levels. Uh, and they, they go back to Firelink Shrine, which is your hub location. And uh, every time you kill a boss or do something significant, you can go back and their dialogue changes and they have their own stories and they sell you different things. Uh, and it's, it's, it feels much more lively because there, there are just more voices and more kind of it's less lonely than the first half so still have that brilliantly <laughs> eccentric surreal voice acting oh, the, the, vo- <laughs> the delivery is amazing uh, they the, the voice so like they're playing up to it do you think the, that yeah, weirdness the, the actors understand now I, th- I think because um, Dark Souls has become a phenomenon and even people like Peter Serapanovich have become fans of it uh, and he he was, he was a voice actor in Dark Souls too. Yeah, I met his character. That was very weird. It's strange, isn't it? Because yeah. it's definitely him. But he does the Dark Souls delivery. Yeah, and that's become a th- it's become a thing now. Like <laughs> the the actors know what it is because they can just see the. It's, it's very deliberate. That weird cadence they all have. Or they sort of. They yeah, sound like they're almost like mocking you. Yeah, in yeah. a way when they speak to you. And they always laugh. They have yeah. every, They all have their own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like, and Bloodborne's a bit like that too, isn't it? Is that is yeah. that a similar style? I've not played any of the Dark Souls games. I must is say. Is there um, still the sense that like? these NPCs and these characters are just lying to you and you're being sort of manipulated through this world that Dark Souls won't have. It's very difficult to tell because that stuff only becomes apparent very late in Dark Souls and I've only played about 15 hours of Dark Souls 3. There's way, way, I'm not even at the first major kind of boss yet. It's huge. It seems to be huge. The the environments are massive as well. Um, It's... the thing about it, someone who's played a lot of the previous games, I played Dark Souls 1 again uh, earlier in the year because I was so excited about Dark Souls 3, um, like it's become a template now. Like the 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 from uh, dungeon crawler has become so very templated, and mm. the rules of it are very set. So in many ways, it feels incredibly familiar. And I think if you've played loads and loads of Dark Souls, then you might find it a bit too familiar. Particularly given that some animations and attack patterns are reused uh, ac- across the kind of uh, the undead settlement generic warriors. They have just straight up the same attacks as a lot of the enemies that you have fought in both Bloodborne, Dark Souls 2, and Dark Souls. Oh, wow. Uh, is there any truth to the thing I read about that one area in particular is either intentionally or for recycling very similar to location in Bloodborne? I'm not sure. I've not seen there's any... Actual... Right? There's like a village, hmm. and the enemy types, apparently, people are claiming that they're just 
taken straight out of Bloodborne, or maybe it's some weird like connective tissue between the two universes or, or something. <laughs> That'd be cool. That would yeah. be cool, and the, there are undoubtedly going to be theories around that. Though I think they're pretty explicitly different worlds. Yeah, uh, I yeah. think they they have reused a lot of attack patterns, and uh, they like there are some wolf-like characters <clears throat> that you might associate with some of the werewolf-type uh, characters in Bloodborne. And um, personally, I don't mind that because those if those patterns work and are exciting, then uh, I, it's still fun to fight them. And I think they have mixed in enough new stuff and new enemies to make it feel fresh and to make it exciting. There are some amazing enemies on a, a place called I think it's like the Forsaken Road or something or the Road of Disappointment that really doesn't really distinguish it from any other <laughs> environment from a From game you know Alleyway of Sorrow <laughs> uh, 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 and in there there are these uh, kind of hunched black kind of demonic figures with these big knives but as you approach them they start kind of convulsing and wings start exploding out of their backs and if you let them kind of deploy their wings they be, they sort of they lunge at you in a big flurry of dark feathers and try to start slashing at you and uh, then after a few minutes you come across like five of them on the, uh, the opposite side of a bridge so you can't just take all of them all out straight away you take out one and maybe damage another one and then suddenly there's this wall of black feathers just coming at you across the bridge and you're just backing away frantically just trying to keep the shield up swinging and swinging and swinging and these, these moments of desperation are being swarmed uh, are, are what Dark Souls does so well yeah, they're a bit like Dark Souls <laughs> <laughs> they're a bit harder than those bird things in uh, Bloodborne to kill those little raven things the, the hilarious for. little uh, ravens <laughs> which but, die in one hit yeah yeah the ravens are funny because they're um, they're there to signify where treasure is because they're supposed to be like uh, magpies that pick up shinies and then is that what they're there for? Yeah, yeah. My, I've been playing that game for twenty hours to pick <laughs> up on that. I don't think these games are for me. That's uh, <laughs> that's, that's told me that uh, it, it rewards really careful exploration. And one thing I, I would say that is good about this templating effect is that um, the level design has become so refined, and that they have such an understanding of where the player will look, what the player will do. They know how to lead the player's kind of attention around a level and when to distract them, when to ambush, how to lead them to the boss. Uh, Dark Souls 1 was very, very confusing for new players like, because a lot of the flow of the world is very unintuitive, mm. especially in the opening section where you find a key and it opens just a really obscure door that leads down into the rest of the world and that's where you're supposed to go. And it, 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 as a new player, it takes you hours to figure out what the hell that thing is for. But in Dark Souls 3, it's, it's like butter. It's just you you explore organically and you just find yourself in the right places over and over again. And yet the, the levels are so complex and just so beautifully kind of knotted. Uh, it's incredibly rewarding to explore. And you always find just little secrets. Like I found a statue to one of Dark Souls 1's most enigmatic gods, uh, a god called, uh, goddess called Velka. And there's just a little statue of her in, in a sewer underneath the level that it took me hours and hours to find. And like, if I hadn't have discovered that, there, there would be a layer missing from the world. Uh, and it's, it's full of this, this sense of discovery that no other game really does it as well. Oh, wow. Is it easier or harder than the other ones? Um, I, find it, I found it easier, but it's because I'm fighting the same patterns that I've fought yeah. before in previous Dark Souls, so I've already kind of done that. And, and I've not really struggled very much with the bosses either, even though they're quite challenging. Uh, it feels more... It feels fairer to me, definitely, than Dark Souls 1. It was, in Dark Souls 2, I, I was reading a thing recently about how it was notably easier. Um, there was less... Uh, you could carry more stuff without affecting your roll as much, your roll speed and stuff like that, and the mm. bosses were, some say, easier. So do you think this is that was because the hand of Miyazaki wasn't guiding it, and this is back to more in line with the first one? I think uh, the, there were some 
like there is some poor design in the first game. Like it's held up as being this incredible, astonishing work of art, and it is in many ways. But some of the bosses are bullshit. <laughs> like the Bed of Chaos boss in Dark Souls One is just hot shit. It's just not good. Well, the, I got as far as the I, I beat the Capra demon, mm. and mm. I just gave up after that because even though I'd beat it, I just felt like I can't deal with that oh. sort of thing anymore. But then people were telling me that that's an especially frustrating one, <coughs> the Capra demon compared to some of the others. I, I can I can also say Andy that from what I've played just of Bloodborne, I've had the exact same experience <laughs> where I killed. Father Gascoigne, and then I I took three months off playing it. <laughs> I came back three months later, and I beat uh, the the big dog thing. Um, Vicar Amelia. Yeah, Vicar big Amelia. Dog. And then I've not played it for about two and a half months. So in two weeks, I'll probably pick it up again. Yeah. I think that, that if you're a new player, there's like a wall you just have to get through, yeah, and yeah. that might be part of it. And you, then you feel so burned out after even the the, <laughs> the, the, the the light of victory fades, and you just feel like oh, I can't go through all that again. Mm. All that emotional. Time like time, I got to Vicar Amelia, beat it. And this, this was like a week of playing at Solid. It's got to that point. I was like, right, I'm going to take nine months off. I've never <laughs> been back. Yeah, it's, uh, I, uh, Tom, you must have. How many hours do you think accumulatively you've played of Miyazaki's games or From's games oh, by gosh. this point? Um, I was at least 100 in Bloodborne, um, probably more. And at least 100 in Dark Souls 1, probably about 80 in Dark Souls 2. And now almost twenty in Dark Souls three, so uh, heading up to three hundred hours of, of which, time, which is uh, which is amazing, really. Like, um, mm. a, a, and shows that those games, that I, you know, the people who are, are into them are really into them. I can't, mm. I can't even envision finishing one of them. Like, uh, I, it's, it's, I feel like there's such a, a gap between us when it comes to that. It's, sort it's of thing. really interesting. I, I was thinking about this more and more because I, I, there are certain points where some players will get ple- pleasure from that other players will get stress from. And um, I find the boss fights particularly, like from software's boss fights have just gotten better and better and better. Like they're, they're incredible now. Almost every boss fight is interesting and challenging and an extraordinary spectacle. And that wasn't necessarily the case of the first game. Uh, they've just gotten really m- much, much better at it. And for me, that, uh, the, the feeling of going up against those things and discovering them and, and learning how to conquer that is, is pure exhilaration. And I just love it every time. And even if, even if I die, I, get fr- I do get frustrated. I put it down, come back the next day and just uh, have the same pleasure. Whereas for other people, that's stress. Yeah, yeah. I suppose I, I like being empowered slightly more than Bloodborne makes me feel. Mm. But um, I'm told that there are certain, in, in like Dark Souls games particularly, there are certain builds you can have that just make the game way easier. And that the, the difficulty of it is sometimes overstated and that there's ways around that that the game offers you. Yeah, it's... I mean, the, some of those are cheesy ways. Like, you, you can there are lots of ways to cheese Dark Souls One, for example, with ranged builds, mm. um, where you can. There's a, a really difficult boss called Manus in the uh, DLC, where I think if you've got a bow and arrow, uh, you can just shoot down into a shadow, and it will just hit him and kill him. You have to do it a hundred times. But wow, so well, I did that for a big frog actually in Dark Souls One. I saw it. <laughs> I saw it through some like uh, bars in a sewer, and I just shot it with arrows. Well, and not dealing it. with that big frog. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how hard the big frog actually was, but yeah. yeah. Okay, down to find out. Yeah, there's, there are lots of ways to do that, and it's obviously they deliberately allow you to do it because the bows are in the game, and, and they put they put windows near that frog, so they yeah. they knew that players were going to do that. But then, it, you know, did it did it feel like you were cheating? Did you feel like yeah. guilty about it? Yeah, that's the Dark Souls thing. <laughs> where D- Dark Souls says, "Look, you've done it, but." How do, do you feel good about yeah, it? Yeah, you <laughs> fought with honor. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have felt bad about it at all. Like if I could have like twatted Vicar Amelia off of, like a bridge into an abyss in like one hit, I'd be like, yes, yeah. that's it. Who's the real winner now? Yeah. It's I, me. I, I'm like a sword, shield, toe to toe. Let's 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 do it. And lots of rolling. It, it, it's interesting because these games are like near yearly now, and mm. um, and like uh, it seems like the people who are invested in them 
don't mind that and they can just and they they don't seem to tire of the formula and like I, I'm kind of curious about that because you played about close to 400 hours of them now like what is it about them that you can just keep playing them that consistently all the time it's because know? it's because of the environment uh, it's because of the level design purely for me because every time you enter a new zone a new area and it, like a headline for it comes up um, I I know that there's going to be like five to ten hours of just this beautiful unraveling of this knot um, this this is just going into every corner and kind of really kind of absorbing the entire place and what it means and what it's for and that it's just these ch- chunks little puzzles and then you go to a new area and it's, it looks completely different and it's a swamp and it's full of different enemies and it's like these environments defy map making there are there are maps I've got like the bought the bloodborne guide uh, which is just this huge beautiful tome full of great artwork uh, but they also have maps of the levels and they're just nonsense because you can't <laughs> you can't map the levels because they're yeah. these 3d coiling yeah things. yeah and but you the only map that can exist for those levels is the mental map you create you draw out of the level as you explore it mm. and, and that to me is like a, it's almost a, it's a deeply satisfying kind of creative uh, mental process that happens as I'm exploring Dark Souls levels yeah seeing how things interlock like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and the delight of um, discovering an elevator and it going up and then popping out somewhere uh, that I recognised from like 40 minutes earlier I'm like oh my god it all connects it's, it's, so, it's so good and it just sets off you know fireworks in my head are there any environments in Dark Souls 3 that are difficult to navigate because the camera isn't up to the job like like in Dark Souls 1 how you could just fall off <laughs> things because the camera was bad yeah I think if you play a lot of the Souls games, you kind of you play, you learn how to camera as much as, <laughs> as, much as you learn how to fight. Oh, which, don't, which, don't I, oh, give got, me all this. Oh no, you've really got to, you've really got no, to get no, no, into no, no, the no. camera mentality. I like, I, like no, no, you, I like when you said it, Tom. You sort of said camera. As well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not uh, using that as an. I'm not being an apologist about it because the camera is often shit, uh, and you shouldn't have to learn how to play the camera in order to play the game. And that's stupid. Obviously, it's a, a failure of, of, of the auto camera. And I've not really encountered that so much, but I don't know what a new player, yeah, how a new player would approach. Can't it. really put yourself in that. Yeah, in that mindset. Do, do you think it benefits from the generational leap? Because it's obviously been made yeah. for uh, consoles that are slightly more powerful now. Like versus Dark Souls Two, are those environments more impressive as a result? Absolutely, and and uh, the spectacle of it is is a big part of it as well, and the the atmosphere of it, and the the, the generational leap has just let them do bigger vistas and bigger yeah. spectacles. Um, like the the first um, sort of after the kind of intro bit, the first area you go into, uh, you, you can look across this enormous valley with this kind of chasm. Uh, and then at the very distance, you see a tower and there's a little silhouette of a giant with a great bow just firing it with his great bow <laughs> through uh, like a storm of crows that are spiraling around the tower. And that's like a miles, miles, miles away. And then two hours later, you're, 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 you're talking to him. <laughs> and uh, it's, uh, there's, oh, it's just fantastic. It's, there's no other game that does that um, quite as well for me. It's interesting now looking back over like the history of From's games in this template and how Dark Souls Two is like right at the centre of this of the road of disappointment. Of, <laughs> yeah. of From's the gazebo software. of despair, you know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I, I guess it's just. Um, uh, it, it sounds like it was. To some extent, I guess from the outside looking in, like it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like people knew Miyazaki wasn't working on it, and so went in with these negative expectations. It sounds like there's still there's still some good things to draw from it in terms of like environmental design and such. Dark Souls Two, yeah, yeah. It, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it. It was 
I think the problems were bigger than the lack of Miyazaki because mm. it is when when people get going about the Otoro theory and stuff, and Miyazaki is a huge huge influence on the on every aspect of those games. But ultimately, it's the level design. Actually, Miyazaki does a lot of the level design himself. But mm. ultimately, it's like a, a lot, uh, there are a lot of designers working on those games that are kind of creating those pathways and, and testing them. And I think the problem with Dark Souls Two was. I think they changed direction a lot of times and put a huge amount of pressure on themselves to do things very, very quickly. Mm. And I don't know the, the true story of what happened precisely, but they, I, think what, I think they created something um, unexpectedly good considering the amount of time they had to create it. And it's a very large game. Um, and they could have probably cut it in half and maybe finished the areas. Interesting. Mm. Well, you, have to, uh, you have to come back uh, on in a few weeks and let us know how you're getting on with it and how, yeah. the, uh, how the boss design uh, lines up because that's, yeah, that's something I'm really intrigued about. You say you've reached one boss so you haven't reached a boss I, yet. There's, there are bosses throughout uh, but there, there are these major lords uh, that are the, the kind of linchpins of, of the world that you have to face and uh, I've not yet faced any of those. So. Ah, great stuff. Exciting times. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, cool. So the next set of games we're going to talk about are from Resd, Phil, which you went to in London last week. <coughs> yeah, EGX right. Resd. Uh, you played a bunch of indie games, is that right? I did play a bunch of indie games. Uh, and how was that? Was that fun? That was all right. You know, you know how indie games are. Yeah, they're, they're nice. That's cool. So, um, what, what was I going to have highlights of what you you tried there? Then? So uh, highlights. Um, there, was, there was quite a lot there, um, and it, it, it was quite variable. I, I don't, don't, not sure I saw anything was as revelatory as the year before where they were showing things like Her Story and even games like Avery Attorney where you sort of played it and you okay this is going to be a thing because it's quirky and fun here this this year okay there was one game where the entire it was like a, a physical game sort of thing it wasn't wasn't a PC game as such it was just a box with a knife in it and some buttons and you had to press your button and a knife would swing back and forth and the object of the game was not to get hit by a knife this wasn't a real knife, I assume. This was it, like it was a, a steak knife. What, could it have cut through a finger? Probably not. I didn't see... It It broke very early on in the day. So I didn't <laughs> see how quickly it swung back and forth. <laughs> okay. All right, well, I think you could do the same thing with a plastic knife and just, you know, just call it even so that, you know, your finger's been cut off in the game. I mean, know, but... that, that is typical of Rez's... Uh, they call it the Left Field Collection, and it's gamers from the left field. They really own I mean, that word. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they really do. <laughs> like, there was, one, there was one where I was playing where you're, you're a plane just sort of flying around, um, and there was nice music and art, and it's all very psychedelic, and lots of giant mushrooms and... So I, I flew into a mushroom and I just clipped through it. It's like, oh, it's, it's not a game about that. Sounds like, ba- not a sounds like bad here. Mario. <laughs> so I was already ready to go, oh, this is this is quite, you know, pleasant but pointless. And then it flashed up a thing at the end saying, um, this is how I imagined the circumstances around the death of my grandfather and stuff. And it's like, oh, God, I've played an art. <laughs> <laughs> they tricked me to art. <laughs> You're furious. You have, find, find me a first-person shooter immediately. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> okay. Uh, so apart from but, art, did you? Was there anything you took? Yeah, away there, from there were some interesting things. Like there was a lot of local co-op and competitive games. Probably because like the nature of like a trade of a consumer show kind of it lends itself to getting as many people as possible around your demo station and enjoying themselves. Hmm. Um, but the best one of those that I found was a, is a co-op game called Overcooked, which um, it's, it's a co-op cooking game. Um, very simple, like it's top-down, and you pick up ingredients and have to fill orders that come up, and like the first level you're just making soups. So you've got to pick up tomatoes, chop them, put them into a pan, put them onto a plate, get them out. Um, 
but within that they add sort of zaniness and um, time pressure and stuff so you've got to kind of organise if we, if we were well organised we'd have had somebody doing the chopping somebody doing the carrying someone washing the dishes and it would have been a nice sort of this nice machine uh, we weren't organised because I was playing it with people I'd only just then met yeah. um, so it just became kind of manic shouting as I need plates I've got soup where are the plates was it like a Hell's Kitchen scenario? it was a little Hell's Kitchen-esque um, although nobody really took on the Gordon Ramsay role yeah. of just screaming in our faces because we were shit. Hmm. You're, all um, you're all pathetic. We, we, all, we, we would have all been voted off. It would have been. <laughs> um, um, I wonder if that's meant to be part of the game too, though. That oh that yeah, definitely. Panic, and then as it goes on, like there were more complicated layouts. So this, the next level we played was on a pirate ship. Um, the benefit of which was plates always come back washed for some reason because I get I guess they get splashed with water or whatever. So there's no washing plates, <laughs> but. Uh, the the ship would sort of rock back and forth, and that meant your um, your workstation sort of moved side to side, changing the layout um, every like couple of minutes, and that meant everybody had to sort of swap what they were doing because suddenly they were sort of contained within different sections of the kitchen. All right, that was really nice. and then uh, there was an ice level uh, <laughs> where you're trying to make fish and chips based. Um, <coughs> But, but like the, the cutting desks and the cooking desks are on a different side to where you get the ingredients and send the food. And the only way to get between the two sections is to dash over an ice float that just sort of moves past slowly. Um, <laughs> the problem is you put in all this work to sort of make up one plate. You cut, the, cut and fry the chips, you cut and fry the fish, you get them all together. And then whoever's carrying it presses dash at the wrong time or knocks into somebody and they go flying off the ice float and the entire meal was lost because they're out <laughs> so and you're just like oh my god that's imagine it yeah. take on single screen corpus yeah, we should it, definitely it, play that in the yeah, office for sure it'll be yeah. a lot of fun when that comes out I really enjoyed it um, we should buy another cider box and <laughs> yeah we really should <laughs> um, uh, what else then, Phil? Also, uh, so the, one of the interesting things was uh, so introversion were there um, makes of prison architects and Uplink. Yeah, Uplink. Um, they were they they didn't have new games as such. They had these new prototypes, and they, they were getting people to vote on which one they thought was better to sort of like a pilot they, season but, thing. Yeah, they're, they're they're just looking to see what's next. I think. Um, so one was called Scanner Somber. Um, it's this essentially you're exploring a cave, but the cave is entirely dark. So you use the scanner, uh, this sort of pointless scanner, to map out the area. Um, by projecting lights onto it, and the lights will sort of stick to wherever there is the weather of rocks. Um, so you sort of paint out the the path forward. Um, it looks very pretty. Uh, the, the way it works is, uh, although there's supposed to be rocks or whatever that your path is on, you can see through them. So if you look back, you just see the path of everything you you've pointed in this this really nice art style, sort of spiraling away. Um, it was very arty. It was it was another art that I played. Yeah, um, yeah. I I didn't beyond that. I'm not sure like what they'd do with it. it. It seemed very sort of walking simulatorish, a bit dear Esther-y when you're exploring caves and just looking at things. And mm. um, beyond that, I'm not sure what the game would be. And maybe that's because I died quite early on because there was a bridge that I thought was that I could make a jump and I couldn't, and I just died. And I was like, uh, I like. I'm not, not going to play any more of this. I like that they're, they're sort of uh, going out of their comfort zone a bit, though, mm. with, with what they're making. Yeah, it's definitely different. The other game they had, which I kind of enjoyed more, um, was called Wrong Wire. And it was just a series of puzzle levels that were about diffusing a bomb. So it was a bit like that um, 
Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes oh, yeah, came yeah. out last year, but without the co-op element. So instead, you've you've got all the tools in front of you, and it's very simple. You just click on a thing and click what you, where you want to plug it in or whatever. There's no there's no real difficulty there. It's all very sort of digital. Everything slots into something else. It's all quite obvious in that. Uh, so so the trick is figuring out the puzzles of it. And um, so you plug in, say. Uh, this uh, password scanner thing into the bomb and then you've got to look through and try and work out um, what it's telling you and decode it into what the passcode is to defuse the bomb. And I was incredibly terrible at it. Like, <laughs> I think I got the early one where you just have to cut a wire. That, 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 was, right. that was on my level. But any time there, co- there was code breaking or whatever and the time pressure of the bomb ticking down, you can always see the display. Oh, I've got five minutes to solve this. And... Uh, also, like the developers and introversion are just sort of standing around looking at you, and I could hear them in the background commenting on how close I was, and I was like, "This isn't helping, guys. <laughs> this is just making it." Like, if you're in bomb disposal, you don't have people sat behind you going, "Well, he's nearly got it. Let's see what I'll do next." <laughs> is, there, is there enough in that for a full game? Like, um, uh, I don't know. Um, the, the, there were probably four or five puzzles within that, and they did seem to get a lot more complicated. Like, they, they did think of some smart ways to make it. Um, more interesting, and part of that was just within like the fiendish for the bomb design. So there's one way you pull off a panel, and that's what arms the bomb. Oh, right. And then you're like, oh, I've armed this myself. I've got to actually figure it out now. And there were others, that, but it, but it also quickly got just ridiculously complicated as well. So you've got to think, well, okay, if you expanded this out to say ten or fifteen levels, you're going to need some sort of degree in engineering to actually finish the last one. Right. Based based on this difficulty curve as it is now. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Mm. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. That's so. It sounds like it's, that, that's more of a platform for puzzle games than a puzzle game, ju- just in itself. Well, it's, well, it, it's quite a self-contained idea there, but uh, it, within the it's, you know, it's just it's it's kind of systematized bomb disposal. Hmm. Um, well, I guess neither like... of them really fit into what you expect from introversion. Hmm. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe after like the success of Prison Architect, and after the fact they've been working on that for so long in early access and after it was released as like updates and that it's possible they do just want to sort of move out their comfort zone and try new things yeah well i wonder if they could end up making all of them because i suppose they could they could, they could yeah. probably afford to do that uh, i wonder if they've also got like other devs working with them on those those games because they're, they're moving into such different territory um hmm, interesting i think like the best games that came out of rest um were the two i saw from mode seven um so there's frozen synapse 2 which they're developing and Tokyo 42, which was announced recently, which they're publishing. I think it's Smack Games, they're called, that are developing it. Um, and both of those look really good. Uh, Frozen Synapse 2, obviously, that's, um, they're, they're not changing the combat much by the looks of things. Um, they've said, like, we can't really introduce many new units or whatever, just because everything is so sort of intricately designed. Mm. With it. If, like Frozen Synapse, it's a, it's a simultaneous turn-based game, so you've got to plot out what the other guys are doing and what you're doing. Um, you know, you move based on what you think the enemy's going to do, and then you set your plan, and then you see what actually happens. And that's still very much the formula on the combat layer. They've added like a new smoke grenade um, guy who can who can block visibility. Um, they were quite excited about how that would sort of change up tactics, especially in multiplayer. Mm. Uh, within single player, like the big new thing is there's this whole kind of strategic city system going on now, and there's a full procedurally generated city that runs in real time. Um, or well, you can pause it and then sort of run it through. It works a bit like, say, Paradox Games. You know, you pause it, but there's a real-time element for when you want the world to move. Yeah. And it's heavily based on all the factions and how the, all these factions interact. And there's, 
there's sort of this incursion by what seems to be AIs uh, within the story, and um, part of the game will be dealing with that. You know, they'll come and they'll invade, and you've got to repel them. But outside of that, you can just mess around with and work for any of the factions. So there's like a delivery company, and you can go and do something for them. There's even there's a baker faction, and uh, they were telling me, okay, well, we wanted to, we wanted to make the, they wanted to make it like interesting and give each faction a bit of personality. So if you fund the bakers, if you give them lots and lots of money, they will eventually raise an army against the delivery company. Raise an army is that a pun? Oh, they will baking bread. No. <laughs> no, no, no. They will hire I think that works. I think that works. I think that works. I just, uh, I guess, I just, uh, I've only just accepted it as a joke. <laughs> I, I, I'm now willing to laugh it at it. It was half a oh. joke. It was half a joke. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, we've... <laughs> so they will hire hire mercenaries, let's say, um, and send them against the delivery company because they inexplicably despise the delivery company. Like that the, the is just one of their elements is that they they hate what what is currently in the development build a company called Parcel Tossers. <laughs> okay. Okay. Very good. Is that, uh, is, that, yeah. is that work in progress? That or uh, a lot of things about it are work in progress. I don't know whether that will stick around or not. It's <laughs> okay. It's uh, well. It sounds like there are there's prime territory for bread puns here. Um, so you know that's uh, hopefully they they fully explore that. But yeah, like within that. So it's not just messing with bakers. There's like uh, the the more corporate factions. You know, you'll be able to steal from them or do jobs for them. And it's designed to be very easy to sort of create squads and send them out. And there's no cap on stuff like that. So, you know, you can have as many squads as you want, but eventually it's going to get overwhelming to what you can do with them. So that's kind of what limits you as a, as a practice. It, it looks really promising and really sort of interesting. And it, it's, it seems like a nice strategy layer on top of what was already a good, enjoyable tactical combat system. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Okay, and so next up is... It was, so Tokyo 42, which is um, it's kind of this top-down-ish um, action game that uh, they've, they described in press releases and stuff as like a mix between GTA 1 and Syndicate, this kind of dark cyberpunkish story in a kind of, in, in an open-world action environment. Yeah, people went kind of mad for the uh, art, art direction. Yeah, it's yeah. really colourful, isn't it? It's really colourful, kind yeah. of um, this, this blocky, surreal... Uh, hype cartoonish kind of it, it looks like Wonder Put or Monument Valley that sort of oh yeah yeah sort of yeah. like soft symmetric but yeah sort of soft but uh, realistic yeah, in yeah. some ways in some ways yeah. but yeah, also kind of futuristic and cartoony and yeah it's There's very lots of flying cars and cyberpunk it's like a colourful mm. cyberpunk yeah. Yeah. yeah and like the developers are not at all you know, not at all shying away from the fact that they have just picked out a lot of games and a lot of things they like about a lot of games, and they're just like, "Yep, we'll have that." We'll and have that, even we'll have that. Akira's a big influence. Even the logo has the pill. From yeah, and the, 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 the I mean, jacket. There are so many records. Yeah, okay, so there's a, the jacket for the Akira. You can get um, Decca Kane's jacket. There's like they've filled it with like little pop culture references and things they're inspired by. They've also just directly. I don't want to say lifted, but they've been very heavily inspired by a lot of systems from a lot of games. Um, and what excites me about this more than anything is that they're taking all the systems from all the games I like. So there's a sort of outpost system from Far Cry mm. where you'll come across like the, this, these um, buildings that will be sort of heavily patrolled and you can go through and there's like a stealth system within it that you can use to take everybody out and progress that way. There's also a disguise system, so there's the Hitman-style social stealth in there. Um, 
there's like attack attack um, any civilians, and you sort of trigger this uh, police-based wave survival mode, where you just sort of compete for points. It just turns into a, a horde mode mini game All at right. that point, and it, it's quite quite formalised because yeah, the, the score system comes up and it is treated as its own separate thing. How, how does the kind of uh, combat sort of work then? Is it because uh, the original GTA's combat I now more closely associate with Hotline Miami? I guess is it a yeah, bit like it's, that? it's quite. It, it looks like a twin stick shooter, although because it's got that isometric look. I mean, it's not isometric because it's fully three D and you can rotate the camera and everything. Because mm. it's got that look, it's um, there's also height based element with in that but it, it looks quite quite clever like as you pull out you can the um you, you just see the direct path of where your bullet will go and oh, there's, right. there's a little height map and where your cursor is so you know exactly where it will shoot and stuff and you oh. can so you can like line up headshots with a sniper rifle to take someone out wow it's probably like um if we look at other influences so there's a multiplayer element as well and that's the kind of Assassin's Creed style multiplayer like that you get in Assassin's Creed or the ship for instance where you're sort of pretending to be an AI and you've got to hide amongst these you've got to hide in plain sight sort of not reveal yourself to be the player while simultaneously trying to figure out who your opponent is which which NPC is actually the person trying to kill you hmm so yeah, I don't know how many original ideas there are in it. It's just a lot of things from a lot of but games. Yeah, watch, but if you haven't seen it, watch the trailer. Yeah, it looks amazing, and it's looking. all the things from games that people who like action games like. So interesting. I, I yeah, I, I definitely uh, I I don't really mind the whole boring lifting elements thing because like uh, in terms of actual games that look exactly like that, there mm. isn't really anything, and that's pretty much why it captured everyone's attention when they uh, they yeah. released that trailer. So I'm, I'm well up for that. Yeah, and, and it ticks many of your boxes really as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's cool. Is there anything else on Res Phil? Is that those are the, those they, are the main I think they were the they were the highlights, certainly, yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah, it sounds like a that's a that's a, a good little selection there. Mm. Um, we were gonna talk about Enter the Gungeon as well, which we could talk about a bit, but yeah, um, talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Talk. I don't I, have you been playing that at all, Tom? No, I am not even sure what it is. Yeah, it's, me uh, either. Let me actually let me based on the title, let me guess what kind of game it is. <laughs> okay. Go for it. Is it a top down roguelike twin stick shooter with pixely graphics? Absolutely spot on. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, I was a 100%. complete guess. Not that it's that hard to guess based on the name, but I, I Gun saw, Dungeon. Yeah. 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 Devol- Devolver's got like a, a good range of games, but they've got a solid line in games that like are that are familiar combinations of elements, you know. Um, and uh, this is indeed that uh, to a T, actually. Uh, and uh, I, I'm sort of enjoying it, but I realise I don't have the same time I used to for games where I'll I'll die against a boss and have to go through this dungeon yeah. again uh, and again and again um, as nice as it looks that's Dark Souls yeah you're not <laughs> Dark Souls <laughs> really isn't for you is it <laughs> no no I I, I, uh, I I don't know I guess it's it's a really kind of like enjoyable twin stick combat system where you have to use cover a lot like you can knock over tables and hide behind mm. them you strafe around kind of like bookshelves and stuff it seems to have this obsession with um, having books you can knock over I don't know what that's all about but uh, they're around the environment but it means that when a shootout kind of takes place. It, it feels kind of chaotic. It feels like there's stuff flying everywhere, yeah, like yeah, a, can... a, a true romance set piece or something. And mm. um, and that's kind of neat. And that, the idea is that there's a there's a good range of guns uh, you can find throughout the game too. Like um, your characters start with uh, an infinite uh, sort of pistol ammo, and then sort of shotgun ammo. Also, Phil, you've been playing this too, haven't you? I not much. Like I played it for about ten or fifteen minutes and did very quickly realise that I just don't. Have the patience for this style of game anymore? Yeah, we've, it's, we've it's not, the same conclusion. Yeah. It's weird, isn't it? It's not that I don't enjoy it. It's just that it's it's with with this sort of road, like it takes a long time before you feel you've made any progress or you've sort of got to 
got to grips with it. And it's like, if I'm going to invest that sort of time in something, I want to know it's like it is the peak of the genre. Like, it's really worth yeah. expending the effort. And like, even Nuclear Throne, which a lot of people love because it's got a really, like, it's got much better weapon feel than, say, Enter the Gungeon does. I'd um, say that is a main problem with it, actually. Like, that, it, the guns don't feel good enough for me to, to want to go the distance with it. But even that, I find quite sort of scrappy and almost, like, it feels like you're wasting a lot of time in these games because just because like the way death completely negates your progress and you're back to square one and it's it takes a long time before you can really get a feel for the world and get and get that emotional attachment and yeah i i i don't know how much it oh, this is just sounds like sacrilege and that i'm a bit of a newbie but i don't know how much it gains for making you go from the start because like if you reach the end boss and you die and you have to do the whole thing again i i, I don't know why there isn't a setting that i can just go straight mm. from the boss like that you know what the response to that would be though if you if you made that claim online <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah i do yeah, i do it would be i'd get i'd get I'd like ambushed by eggs it would yeah. be like execute from pokemon yeah. just be bombarding me with eggs but, Sam, why have you we don't not... have to say it. we'll ban yeah. that phrase on the podcast <laughs> no i uh but i stand by that because I, I thought that boss was uh it was like a it was like a raven thing that had a bear, like the chest of a man, and uh, I just did a weird action there that people that listen to the podcast can't. <laughs> we appreciated. <laughs> it was a bit like um, the Superman uh, poster from uh, the fifties Fleischer cartoon. Anyway, I don't know why. What is it with birds? Hyperlight Drifter's first really hard boss as a bird as well. Yeah. A bird priest though. Well, it just it's, it's this is a bird with a Gatling gun, so uh, it's slightly different. It's something where I feel like I've seen everything before in it, um, but uh, I'm not I'm not really blown away by any one element in it certainly mm. not enough to to go through it um I, I may pick it up again tonight and just get through that first boss and do that properly i did that same dungeon about two or three times and like it's it's, it's it, it is cool like everything in it is like uh definitely like above average it's just that yeah without the gun feel uh being extraordinarily or the enemy design being sort of like mind-blowing I, I need a better reason to go through to it to an extent it's almost this is now the problem with how many sort of indie games there are and stuff like people complain about the, this idea of the indie apocalypse yeah maybe it's not so much that people aren't buying games maybe it's just that there are now that many games that if you are going to be released you've just You've got to be of. You've got to have this immediate hook. It's got to be immediately apparent why why I should spend time with this. That's true. Although it has sold really well, like it's mm. in the um, it's in the Steam top three sellers all weekend. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. It's, well, I'm not sure it, it stops people from buying games. I just wonder like how many of those people have then actually put solid hours into it, or how many sort of loaded up and went. Oh, I'll play this some other time. It, yeah, if something's less than a tenner. That's you, that's yeah. a, a good win purchase right it's there. It's one of those games you'll look at your Steam friends list and you'll look at everyone's playtime and it'll be zero point three minutes played, <laughs> hours hours played. Well, certainly mine will be. You know, like I can't speak for anyone else, certainly, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, but then you'll be the odd person with 300 hours. It'll be like that total. Hmm. Yeah. It, it, this is one of those sort of like uh, sort of subgenres where, like 2D platformers, it's going to take something you know that's hella good. Why did I say that? Yeah. Why did life I say that? Yeah, you played life <laughs> Just the first episode. They do say hella a lot though. <laughs> uh, something uh, incredibly good for me to actually um, persevere with it. Like it's just a, a very busy. These are very busy genres now, so it, mm. you know they, they need something really good to set them apart. Uh, yeah, and the, the, the guns don't quite feel good enough. So I'm not entirely sure, but um, it is the game everyone's playing at the moment. And Evan in the US on the S Tomb is enjoying it a lot more than we are. Mm, so uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, didn't he call it Spagunky, which I thought was quite cool. <laughs> oh, puns! <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like we're being slightly unfair because it's not. I'm, I'm not offering a quality judgment on it. I'm Me just neither. Saying, I'm offering I'm a sort of tired. 
I'm just I'm tired and worn down, and this was not what what Ma- stops that. Um, maybe I'll give it a, like more of a go and come back to it next week and talk about it in, in some more detail. So I'm giving it a fair shake because yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like I haven't offered a quality judgment either. You should demand your money back. Except this podcast is free, so you know <laughs> we got a better review online. It's uh, yeah, it's we, we got someone who actually had to play it for more than ten minutes. Yeah, he gave it seventy eight percent. Jake Tucker. So um, yeah, check the uh, review out on the website. But um, yes, uh, that's the end of part one, and we'll be back with part two with a couple of reader questions. Welcome back. Here are some reader questions. Uh, so our first one is from a regular listener, Gareth Academy, whose name I can now pronounce properly. Um, he uh, always sends us good questions, so uh, you know. I <laughs> so hit... everyone else raise your game. <laughs> well, get uh, on Academy's so, level. Yeah, well, so, uh, well, I we do get the same questions every week, which is should I upgrade my uh, GTX 770 or my 650? And I'm like, I, I don't know. What, I know nothing. I don't know just, what just budget read, you've got. Read our um, guides on the website. Yeah. To... Hardware. Yeah, exactly. Or you know, check out a buyer's guide in the magazine where we've got every different rig you can uh, you can buy for your budget. Like, uh, you also, know. we still don't really know if you should invest in VR yet. Just we've got guides about that on the internet. Yeah, yeah. We that last episode actually. <coughs> Listen to episode four if you want to hear our thoughts on that. And I, I got I got another episode which is what do you think the next uh, great innovation is in games? And like, I, I don't know. My face, you know, like <laughs> I don't have I don't have quality answers to these questions. You know, uh, Tom Senior. That's that's the, ne- the next great innovation. I am in the games. next great innovation. In games. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, we've got we've got a couple of, uh, of of decent questions, so we've uh, we filtered them out there. But if you want to send us some real ones, then please do. Um, you can uh, send them to at PC Gamer. Uh, we put a call out every uh, Monday or Friday when yeah, we're doing the podcast. Don't so, uh, send them unbidden to at PC Gamer <laughs> because nobody nice. will see it. Yeah, yeah, we have a million followers. <laughs> wait, wait, get lost. Maybe we should make a specific podcast Twitter thing. Uh, may, uh, no, I can't be bothered. So, so that's, that's, <laughs> it's, like it's going pretty well, you know. Like uh, <laughs> right, that's, that's something we can explore. Maybe, maybe we'll do a hashtag. You know, that's what they do. Oh, that's it? what we need. Yeah, pod questions or something. Uh, something better than that. Um, okay, cool. So our first question here is: uh, with the coming Total Warhammer, hopefully fulfilling the wishes of many, what franchises do you want a game for, and what genre? Uh, which is an interesting question. I guess it's like uh, th- that was kind of like a, a chocolate and peanut butter thing, wasn't it? Of like, what if I put these two things together, then it would be rad. So I'm trying to think of like other combinations like that. Like, I don't know, what if you did like, uh, I don't know. Actually, maybe I, maybe I don't have an answer to this question. <laughs> if you did like a, a like a Elder Scrolls uh, strategy game or something like that, you know, like uh, that that sort of combination Could work. Um, mm-hmm. th- maybe <laughs> you just you just mm-hmm. you, you just sort of replaced Warhammer with the Elder Scrolls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what yeah. other fancy properties? Uh, guilty, guilty. Yeah, yeah. I've always I've heard for anything better than being a hypocrite here. What about if we took Warcraft oh, no, and made well, it a strategy? Well, oh no. This is a good one to. Um, it's All quite right. fun to imagine um, Telltale games. I was thinking the other day, I was watching Red Dwarf on Netflix and I thought a Telltale style Red Dwarf game would be brilliant. Would, it be, episodic... would, it, would, it, would it be Dave era Red Dwarf? Or... <laughs> oh, oh no, 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 no. We're, no, we're no. talking old Red Dwarf. Like, <laughs> yeah. We could do it in any era. Just have them in Starbug and every episode's a different fun space adventure with the original writers and cast. Yeah, we know they're not that expensive. Good. They made it yeah. on Dave, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. They, de- they definitely, you know, something like that. So you, you could do that with most things. I'm, I even wrote a feature on the website if you Google PC Gamer Telltale okay, or something. You can just, yeah, so that, like, take any good TV show or thing. Father go, Ted. Yeah, I thought it, even that could work. Anything could work as a mm. Telltale game. Well, mm. Or could it, though? Because a lot of things yeah. don't work as a Telltale game, as seen okay. by Telltale's Jurassic output. Park. 
<laughs> like Minecraft. Uh, my, 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 no, that does not. People got like good, that though. It's not got great reviews. Yeah. It's, like, it's got a, it's got a, a decent pig in it though. I will say that that, yeah. pig, I mean, that okay. pig is decent. Um, <clears throat> that might have made the entire venture worthwhile. <laughs> but but I've, my, I do my, wonder my, how much legs are within like Telltale's kind of ability to. Like, even Game of Thrones didn't particularly set the world light. Yeah. Although, their interpretation of that. I've got like uh, four complete Telltale series I've not touched in my Steam library at the moment. And I, yeah. I, it, like, if Game of Thrones, a TV show that I genuinely love, uh, isn't enough to make me play one, then I think maybe like a, the formula I'm just slightly tired of. Having said yeah. that, I probably will play the Batman one they're making. Yeah. Again, um, it all, all comes down to the format is is one thing, but it's ability really, isn't it, to, to take the format and make use of it's it. Like you can take so many different properties and insert it into the Alien Isolation template as well. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Everyone's talked about, you know, That'd be good. we talked a bit about the thing Predator and or Blade the Fire thing or, or, I don't know, yeah, yeah. Seinfeld. Mm. Seinfeld Isolation. <laughs> that would work if you were Seinfeld being chased through his apartment block by Newman. That'd be, yeah, that would work, yeah. yeah. I, swear. I mean, I say that, I don't think it would. I, I don't know if his apartment's big enough to really, it's <laughs> yeah. not quite the Sebastopol. <laughs> I wouldn't mind um, sort of more sort of like uh, so-called walking simulators in uh, like familiar sort of like um, you know environments from TV shows or films though. Like um, I don't know what what would it like to be walk through like uh, you know sort of Caprica before the fall in Battlestar Galactica mm. or why the fall while the fall's going on mm. something like that. Yeah, like a, st- a Chinese room style story led game in a familiar environment. I'd be into that. Yeah, for sure. Like um, that, that's something you could do without. Uh, going to great fuss or needing to use the same cast necessarily, you know, just picking off a. Tom, you look like you've got a. Uh, yeah, I'm amusing myself with ideas in my head, which is quite rude. In the middle of a conversation, you talking, other guys. people. I've got. I think the audio is picking this up. You're picking up Tom Senior amusing himself. I was, um, I, I was thinking about a, a stand-up comedian rhythm game where you play the comedian Stuart Lee and you have to hit the beats correctly in order to make the audience laugh. And kind of like run the room uh, over the course of a set. Comedy here. You have to, you have to combo hero. the same joke fourteen times <laughs> yeah. until the audience laughs. Wear them down. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, I've always wanted a, a game set in the Ian M. Banks culture universe, which is uh, an amazing sci-fi universe. I don't know what possible game you could make with it. Not an RTS. It'd have to be something experiential where you're actually a character mm. of the world, maybe like an RPG, but not a Telltale RPG thing. I think I've, I might have mentioned this on another podcast or in the magazine or something, but I would just love the ability to walk around Westeros, mm. a really amazingly realised Westeros, <coughs> or in, um, in just an open-world RPG where you can just go walk from the wall down to King's Landing mm. and have adventures in between. You yeah. just want that. Someone make Westeros. I mean, there seems to be a lot of like scope for things that people have tried because they had the licence and had to do something, but done well yeah. like there has been a Game of Thrones RPG it just wasn't yeah. that good yeah. Yeah, that, that, um, let's have that but good that, yeah. that South Park Stick of Truth uh, format I wouldn't have minded applying to like The Simpsons or something yeah. maybe it's a bit too late now because The Simpsons has been terrible for 20 years but yeah. um, well, I say terrible just not as good but like uh, w- being able to walk around Springfield that's always been an appealing idea to me yeah. and South Park shows how you can do it in a, in a sort of 2D plane you, you know? I want a virtual Springfield available for PC it came out in the 90s I, yeah, I, 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 I did play that <laughs> And it wasn't what I wanted no. it to be. I want a, a, a stick of truth style game, but it's King of the Hill. You, oh, yeah. You, you recharge so health that. by standing by the fence drinking beer. <laughs> that would be amazing exploring the neighborhood and playing as Bobby and getting up to mischief. Yeah, yeah. I want, I want that game. Why did you put that in my head? Because mm. it will never happen. It will never happen. Future Armor would have been good for that, too. Um, yeah. That would have been particularly good, actually, because that's got a very interesting sort of like world. You could have traveled to different places as well. Oh, yeah. cool. But um, that will never happen now because that TV show's been cancelled and that was rubbish for yeah. like three years as well. Mm. Uh, but hey ho. Um, 
Yeah, those are the uh, those are the ones I can think of. In terms of like games to other licenses, like Warhammer was the one that should always have happened, and yeah. you can usually see in like the modding community when something is supposed to happen, oh, yeah, someone yeah. makes it happen. You know, I think I've mentioned before on the podcast about how I still like to see a really good Star Wars RTS. I don't think one's ever been made mm-hmm. truly, um, and yeah, uh, there are mods to that effect in other games. But hey ho, maybe one day. But uh, yeah, I suppose that's. Anything else, guys, or is that about it? Yeah, that's a brainstorming Exhaustive. session. <laughs> yeah, those are all the uh, the dreams I've had. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, cool. Uh, what do you think about the resurgence of 4X gaming and when, where it needs to evolve? That's from Explorminate. Uh, I don't know about um, if it's ever really gone away. 4X um, Civ's always been a sort of like a mainstay, and there's just been a few more games that affect in recent yeah, years, like, like in the space. It's- 4X is like really good ones tend to last for a long time. Like you get a lot out of them. So <coughs> even during the period where it was only really Gaussiv and regular Civ, mm. uh, then like just having Gaussiv 2 and Civ 4 on the scene, plus expansions as they were released, just kind of makes it seem like an alive genre. Yeah. Even though two games isn't really that that big a deal but it's not a genre that needs to be overpopulated anyway uh, no such. maybe that's that's part of what needs to evolve is is it's been a genre that's been quite static and it uses a lot of the same ideas yeah um, mm-hmm. we're starting to see more experimentation through things like Endless Legend and Endless Legend's brilliant I'm, I'm not the biggest 4X fan but yeah. I bought that after Chris Thurston was pontificating about it and it is hmm. how it weaves like story into a 4X strategy game is really well done yeah, part of the that, factions are really really different yeah. from each yeah. other as well which is really exciting but, I mean, part of that was Amplitude's response specifically to 4X and the, you know what can we do where can we move this genre and you'll see more of that in Endless Space too. I think like they've announced mm. they've announced a lot more uh, in, uh, look at the internal politics of your empire it's not just about conquering outside it's hey once you've got all these people that in itself is a complicated problem mm, that's interesting because uh, me, uh, me and Tom a couple of GDCs ago had a lot of free wine in the hotel and decided to reinvent Civ as we, as okay. we do it because um, yeah. like the only exciting uh, sort of like a victory uh, state in that game is the military victory, and like none of the others are nearly as engaging or offer any kind of like interesting interaction. Yeah, and that and revolve around meaningless uh, numbers. Like, mm. what's culture as a number? As a, how do you express culture as as you know twenty five? What does that mean? <laughs> I mean it's, that, that's what a lot of these games do is that they boil down big, you know, important social constructs into a number, and then you make it bigger by building things. And that's just that's not an interesting. That's, it's, yes, like the, the entire concept of a science victory is mad. Just, <laughs> yeah. I've researched my way to this ten. I mean, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm, uh, I'm interested in seeing what Stellaris does uh, because for me, Crusader <clears throat> Kings Two is uh, the one strategy game that I'd love to see more strategy games kind of take influence from, specifically because it's about relationships and it's about yeah. social, uh, you know, social. Issues and, and yeah, problems. Like Paradox have dialed back a lot from that. Yeah. For, for Stellaris, it's not going to be as uh, as character based. Um, mm. There the, are the elements of that within like who governs what system and the scientists specifically. It seems like the scientists are where all the person, like the personality, goes into, mm. which will be really interesting to see. But you're right; like it would be nice to have any of these like quite dry strategic decisions enlivened by people. Like that's where drama comes from. Yes. I'd like, um, conversely, going the other way, I'd love to play a 4X strategy game that was an hour long. 
that where mm. you, you build an empire and either it crashes and implodes or something yeah, happens I love to that, actually. it in the space of an hour. Yeah, because I feel like 4X games, I, I rarely finish a, mm. a whole campaign because just time and patience. Yeah, like an, a game that puts a whole Civ campaign in the space of an hour sounds brilliant. Oh, you want to play um, Civilization Revolution on yeah. uh, that, was, that was great. On DS, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or on, I, I, I remember reviewing that on, on PlayStation 3 a billion years ago and it was really, really good. Yeah, it was, it was, it was I would say it was a bit too condensed like it could have done with some options to have a more expansive campaign if you wanted to yeah. like it did come down to whoever built the most towns as quickly as possible won but like um, it was uh, it was still a really cool distillation of yeah. what Civ's about you could probably make a really interesting 4X like that, that was sort of quite short form just around the, the fall of an empire like, oh, about like one snapshot. Yeah, just assume that you've won a campaign and you jump in at that point where everything's going to shit. Because, like, you see over history the, the, these sharp declines where everything's gone wrong, and a lot of it becomes about how best do people manage that breakup at that point. Mm, that's interesting. interesting. Yeah, yeah. Just taking off uh, rather than doing a whole, here's 200 years in an hour, it's just here's one specific moment in an empire's downfall, mm. and different things happen each time depending on what you do. That's cool, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, I suppose it's, it's a it's a pretty healthy genre. Yeah, just, um, yeah, and like I'm, it sounds like there's enough going. It, it's it's really like um, maybe more of a problem with Civ than it is specifically with other four yeah. X games. I, mean, I think that came in sharp focus with Beyond Earth. Was, yeah, I mean, part of that seemed to be they they weren't given enough time to really progress it beyond Civ Five. Like it seems like the point of that game was to just give Civ Five a space flavor and the really didn't work that well well it, it came it didn't benefit from coming out around the same time as endless legend either um, no but uh yeah well interesting stuff okay cool that's the end of another episode of the pc game uk podcast thank you very much for listening um so i'm samuel w roberts if you want to follow me on twitter there's also uh, i'm tom senior i'm at pc ludo ludo uh i'm at octader o-c-t-a-e-d-e-r at ultra brilliant if you want to send us some questions, it's uh, pcgamer at futurenet.com. Uh, please do. We'll answer them on the on the show. We know we have listeners, and uh, you know we do want some <laughs> better. Numbers. We do want some better questions. And should I upgrade my graphics card? Because you know, that's... give us some like uh, some hot potatoes to toss back and forth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. the division question. Send from us the potatoes. Other, the other episode. Yes, the division question about whether it's okay to um, to kill people in uh, hoodies who are <laughs> on Manhattan, and we decided, we decided that yes, yes. it was. Yeah. Because... Some hot potatoes, but not too hot. We, we, we don't want to turn it into like question time. Yeah, yeah. We're just men who like games. Yeah. <laughs> Is it okay to do this in this game? Stuff like that. Yeah, or what? We, like we even like have opinions about the Brexit that we should really really get into <laughs> in this platform. Something I'm thinking bring into the podcast as well as maybe doing like some kind of our best uh, our favorite games in certain genres or you know favorite games we've played in the last six months stuff like that some kind of listy stuff yeah, that's make, of mix interest. up the features yeah yeah i'm thinking of doing that but like uh, if i if i get a minute i will i will explore that um but thank you very much for listening uh we're really, really grateful for your support if you'll leave us a review on itunes then please do but uh, no worries if you don't either and uh, we'll be back next week thank you very much <laughs>